every successful person got there by going through tough times. Success is a hard-ass teacher who likes to knock you around along that journey. You know, it takes real guts to not give up and keep going. We'll hear stories about failures and how these leaders flipped the script to create success. I'm John Schultz. Join me and let's discover how success is never really overnight. Welcome to the John Schultz podcast, the myth of overnight success. I have a guest today that I've known pretty much my whole life, so this is very exciting. I'm sure I'm going to still hear things that I didn't know and learn about my friend Ray Brown, uh, who is the owner of Ray Brown Represents, which was founded in 1994. It's a renowned international agency representing a diverse group of creatives who provide progressive and award-winning visual solutions in photography, film, CGI, art direction, beauty, styling, all the things that we watch and see and why uh, social media is exploding. We need all that content. Headquartered in New York City uh, and offices in London. So welcome, Ray. Hey, John. Nice to see you, bud. Nice to see you. I'm glad we're doing this. This is great. Yeah. Did some so, good homework. Know, I like it. <laughs> it's nice, right? It's Where fun. Where did you get that from? I, wanna, I have to see that. <laughs> exactly. So, Ray, so how would you describe yourself growing up as, as, a, as a kid? I would say um, growing up, I was always a hustler. always wanted to make money. Started my own lawn business. Worked for sore guys. I put out flyers. I mean... I would do anything to try to, to try to save money. We grew up not in a decent neighborhood, but my father had passed. Uh, my mother worked her butt off. And I just wanted to kind of just to kind of make money and like and be uh, successful in life at an early age, I guess. That was the best so, way. So like, so like an entrepreneur. I mean, I was competitive in athletics. I was a very competitive kid. And you know the you know the my brother and the rest of the family also. So, and what sports like like what what drove you to what sport like like you know obviously you you always seems like you wanted to succeed and do and be. Uh, so I guess what did you play football? Did you play all sports? What drove yeah, you like, to do that? My, my my dad was a great athlete, and I played football when I was five or six years old. Basketball things came naturally to me. Um, Little League Baseball, and just, but I was just trying to figure out a lot of stuff on my own versus my kids that had a lot of guidance by me. I just was, you know, and things were a lot different back then. And, but I just always wanted to play many sports and be as competitive as I could be and, and have fun. And listen, you, you did, and you, you always seem to excel, right, in, in everything you did uh, growing up. You know, what were some of the challenges of that? Because, you know, everything looks a certain way, and it never really is. Did you have mentors that helped you? You know, because once you get there, you got to stay there, and it's, it's stress. So, so how did you handle, and what challenges did you feel uh, as a young person? I was in um, football, as I said, I didn't have a lot of guidance from my father because he had passed when I was young. So various coaches came in my life at early ages. One, one guy was very influential was a guy named 
um, Kenny Parker used to call him the coach. And uh, sadly, he actually passed this year. And I've known him since I was eight years old. Oh, that's terrible. Um, he was been a part of my life as like a mentor. Not, a, not even so much a father because he wasn't that much older, but kind of older brother. And, uh, you know, he was he was probably the biggest influence sports wise. But I would kind of get relationships with certain coaches and not having a father. They would kind of want to try to help me out more and. Like I said, I was made the all-star team here and, and always at, you know, one of the top athletes. So I would get a lot of guidance and um, just try to figure stuff out. Like I said, today, things are so much different. All right. So my next question, ready? So, so, okay. So, you know, it's hard, you know, when you have that figure in your life, that's so important, right? Growing up your father and you had to seek out, uh, you know, other people and other help. And, you know, you think that's what helped you develop an entrepreneurial mindset? Like everyone's usually afraid to go ask for help. I think it's a superpower. Was that something you think you learned by, by trial and error or, you know, how did that come about for you? I, I think it was trial and error. And I think given the circumstances of growing up just made me stronger wanted things more and not, and actually not afraid. I was not afraid to ask for help and not afraid to kind of dig into the moment. Um, you know, everybody experiences things like death differently. Um, and your other family members, some people it affects their whole life, but I think it affected me in a good way that it made me just a stronger person at the end of the day. So you had to overcome and I, listen, I can't even imagine it. Uh, it's got to be very, very tough. But uh, I guess, you know, and, and on this podcast, I, you know, every person, the, 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 the one thing that shaped them was the worst thing, unfortunately, right? Either they got through it in a very strong way or, and, you know, thank God all my guests have, or, you know, it could go the other way. And it, it's a shame. So, all right. So you get, you're, you're in high school, you're doing well, you know, you use sports as a, a way to, to shape you. Uh, obviously you, you worked all these odd jobs, right? You wanted to make yep. money. So what happened after high school? Where, where'd you go from there? After high school, I ended up going to <clears throat> university of Arizona and it was, uh, that's, that was another <clears throat> interesting way to get there. Cause I'd, uh, wanted to play football at the next level, but I got hurt my senior year, my first game. So oh, I God. didn't even really play my senior year. Again, recruiting very different back then, but I, I ended up somehow in Arizona. I knew a couple people that were there, and they're like, "It's a great place." I'd actually only been on a plane one other time in my life to Florida after my father passed, and I'm expecting like my mother stuck me on a charter plane, never visited the school, and she sticks me on a charter plane. I'm going to Tucson, Arizona, and I'm thinking I'm landing in the middle of the Sahara Desert. That's what my vision was because <laughs> there's no internet back then. You can't look things up, you know, I, you don't get into everything's by letter. It's so different. Yeah. And like, they just, they can't even imagine it, you know, but, uh, anyway, I, I ended up at Arizona, which was some of the best years of my life. I walked onto the football team, played there for two years and it was incredible. I still am friends with these guys today. 
And did you um, walk on at the uh, the first couple of years or the second? Yeah, the first year. Like, first year. First I literally year. just literally showed up and and coach, I want to play. And it's like, okay. And he saw me in the gym dunking the basketball. He said, You're a good athlete. And uh, actually, back then, what they don't don't have today, they had a JV part of the team. You know, they, they, that really doesn't exist in Division One sports. And uh, so we play, had a little schedule, and you know, it, it was fun. It was fun until my second year, and then I figured out I um, wanted to have the other, you know, just hang out with my friends and party a little bit more, and like I'm not going to the NFL, and uh, it was too grinding. It's funny because I, I had Rudy, the actual Rudy from the movie Rudy on, on my podcast. Oh, and right. he was a walk-on too. What a great story. And listen, you know, what I love about that is that, you know, this entrepreneurial flavor still comes out. Like you're not afraid to try things regardless of what, what it would happen. And, yeah. and, and you succeed. Also, in the- I was also 17 years old going on the plane. Like I was so young compared to kids today and, and my yeah. kids are a little bit older and, you know, just, I don't know. I just figured everything out. You know, that's what I always tell my kids. You, you figure it out. I did it when I was young and you have all this guidance today. You got to figure stuff out. It's a, it's good. No, I agree. And, and, you know, I find when you do figure something, I mean, listen, I, I do feel asking for help and guidance is good. That doesn't mean you have to take it all, but when you do figure something out after that or even before that, you always feel, you know, better about it because you feel like you yeah. accomplished something. All right, so two years, you, you you then hung out with your friends. College is great, best four years of your life. What what evolved after college for you? After college, um, well, I, I met some great friends, some of my closest friends there. Um, I also had a girlfriend I met my sophomore year of college. And I'm dating for like eight years of my life. <laughs> so there that you was, go. Um, I, sh- I could have been married and have much older kids. Um, <laughs> so after college, I ended up staying out there for a year, getting in the real estate business and decided to come back east. So uh, a couple cars, my boat and uh, the girlfriend, everybody, we, we came back east and uh, started in the real estate business. I actually started working with uh, uh, Eric's dad. Wow. Uh, Arnold Ansel. There you go. <laughs> and uh, did that for a few years. Um, and I want to say maybe like three years, maybe three or four years. And then that's when the, the transition, when I went on vacation one day down in uh, South Beach, way back, this is like, I want to say in almost like uh, very early 90s, maybe late maybe 89, around the 89, 90. Yeah. And, uh, and had come across uh, uh, a talent scout. I mean, they weren't, they weren't, we just had mutual friends at a dinner and asked me if I'd modeled. And I said, no. And, and she actually introduced me to a, a very famous photographer uh, who's also a very good friend of mine today, a guy named Bruce Weber. And after the vacation, ended up meeting him um, the next week, um, in his studio in New York, took a couple Polaroids. Polaroids? Wow, Polaroids, that's dating yeah. us. That's yeah, so funny. Yeah, no digital. <laughs> I still don't. I don't even know if he still shoots digital today. Did Bruce, you? Sa- I hope you saved that Polaroid. No, that's I didn't. Weird. I didn't give him to me. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I, sh- I, sh- I do have some good Polaroids to share with you one time, though. <laughs> good. Um, 
But then in like five days later, I'm hanging out in my house in New Jersey, living with Mitch and the, and the girlfriend. We all three had this house together. I don't know if you remember that. And I got a call from uh, this producer from Calvin Klein. And they said that we have a job next week. You want to, Bruce wants you to come out. And uh, I'm like, sure. <laughs> Why not? And that's when that whole modeling error of my life started happening. All right. So, so this is wild, right? So you're in real estate, you know, you yep. come back, you know, all of a sudden you're at this dinner happenstance happens, which I, I think like, like if we're open to things and we move around and sort of yep. trying to figure stuff happens. So, so this is like, was there many male models back? Like, like what's the evolution of you getting this Calvin Klein gig out of nowhere? Uh, and Talk a little bit about like where male models were at that time and, and, and the evolution of this whole, you know, uh, modeling business. Right. Um, back then, um, well, there were, there was the supermodels, which were, I mean, the business is definitely dominated by women for sure. Um, but back then when I was doing it also, um, the male model, there were kind of borderline super male models, I want to say. Um, but it, it eventually got into celebrities that, that really are much more driven for the men's market. Like, for example, in GQ, you would never see a model on the cover of GQ. But today, you'll see all celebrities and you barely see any regular models in any of the magazines. Um, so, you know, and Bruce Weber was like, kind of like the, the pioneer of the, who really put the male models on the map. I, he shot Calvin Klein, he shot for all the great magazines, Ralph Lauren, um, he just was, if you worked with Bruce, you immediately became successful. You know, there's different tiers of successful. Um, I w it was a very, I was a very lucky time for me because in that era, um, that kind of the Hollywood thing was in. Um, not the grunge thing and, and the Hollywood thing. Everyone said I had a Cary Grant, Gregory Peck look. And that was uh, just the timing of everything was great for me. And uh, ended up having a very successful, fun uh, modeling career. So, so where'd it go from there? And like, what was the height for you in that, right? And how long did it last? And then what were the challenges for you being a model and, you know, how does that feel? You know, I'm sure there's a lot of rejection too. Like how's the whole process work? Right. Um, well, I think when you, when you get discovered the way I did, I was very, very lucky because there's very few things in life where you can go from like not being recognized and all of a sudden you do a Calvin Klein campaign and you're, immediately I was like almost a superstar in a way like you can't do that with acting you know you have to work at it and this and this is just literally based on looks I had a great look at the right time so I had a very again I feel very lucky uh timing is everything in life and I, challenges were I don't know that I didn't want to go to Milan I was getting I was like I didn't want to travel <laughs> that far for jobs but then they offer certain money and it was, uh, I don't know, it was very, it was lucrative. It was fun. It was everything. But I, I always knew in the back of my head 
that this is not something I'm going to do for a, like a really long time. There's guys that are still doing it today or modeling in their 60s. And but it's again, it's 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 a much better business for a woman. You can still make a living doing it. I always I always knew I was a business guy and and I was going to kind of try to capitalize on what I was doing because I was getting away from real estate. I was making this money and like, what's my next step in life? So when I was uh, doing different jobs, I would meet a lot of very big photographers, Bruce and all different sorts of photographers. And I would get close to the clients. And then one day, if one of these photographers said, you know, this person at this magazine, you know, this person at Neiman Marcus, can you introduce me to them? And I started doing that, doing introductions because I became close to them. And they were like, wow, you you know these people better than my agent. Why don't you just rep me? And uh, that's when I decided to uh, kind of transition into the repping world. And was this photographers that you were, were asking you these questions or? Um, yes. Who were these? Okay. Yep. These are all, I mean, photographers that started asking me to, uh, hook them up with jobs. You know, like, can you introduce me to this person? And I'm like, sure. And I like, I didn't think anything of it. And when I did it, you know, they would get the appointment and, and get the job. And then I started like here, I got him a job at Neiman's. I got him a job at Sports Illustrated. And they were getting a bunch of guys saying, why don't you like help me out? But I was also modeling at the same time. So I started, it's kind of fun because I was making money doing that, placing some photographers and jobs. I'd get a commission you get a yeah. all commission based and while I was modeling. And um, so my first, and that's eventually what I do today. As you started out the podcast, I have a production company and it's, uh, it's actually called Ray Brown Productions, but it's a, ma it's a management of photography, stylist, hair and makeup. Also had a, a studio business. I don't know if you were ever there where we, had studio rentals um, very close to my office. And I did that for like 15, 18 years. So, so, so it, it's interesting. So you, you, again, someone asked you to do something and instead of just doing it and not thinking about it on the, you know, the next step, you, you create this business. So was it back then an underrepresented industry? Like, was photographers represented in any way? Did they have yeah, agents? Yeah, they, or, they were. And, and what made you think you could do it differently? And, and how has the business morphed since you started that? Right. So um, I didn't really know a lot about the repping business. It's a very small business. I mean, first of all, no one goes to school for it. Everybody kind of is there kind of like by default. Maybe their parents did it a friend, or I don't know, there's a couple of other models that actually transition, transition into repping also. But it's again, that's, you know, I didn't even think about it. that's kind of been my whole life. It's just like, here, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And it's, I was just following this kind of path, and was able to uh, understand it, it, it's a, it's a, it could be a lucrative business. Um, as far as how the business has changed, um, well, that's getting into whole how photography has changed because of um, how e-com has changed it. And agencies uh, are, I'm talking about like ad agencies are changing their, the way they're presenting to clients and how the economy has changed. So it's a 
very large competitive business, but has definitely gotten even more competitive over the last 10 years because of, um, I would say, technology, digital changed the business dramatically where photographers were less valued because they would find kind of sometimes they would find the cheapest guy to do this photo shoot. And the photography became sometimes less important. And it's, it's still not across the board like that, but it has definitely changed a lot in that direction. Would you say there's many of what, of, of what you do? And is it shrinking because of that? You know, yes, you're a, lot, looking, you know. a lot of the, there, there are several agents that have been around for 25, 30 years that decided to do other things because they couldn't find a way to sustain. Many people have felt has fallen off. And I think it's becoming smaller and smaller for sure. Interesting. So, all right. So you have this business and, you know, it's still here today. And where do you see it going from here? Like AI? I mean, cause now I think we're, we're on steroids on how things can change. <clears throat> yeah. Both yeah. digitally, you know, uh, you know, you basically, you, you may not even have to have a photo shoot anymore. Do, do you see that coming or is there always going to be a photo shoot? You know, that's, that's the, the big talk from amongst everybody, photographers, reps, like what is, what is our life going to be like in the next six months, one year, two years, three years. And I, I think, I do think that uh, regular, let's call it regular photography will always be around. I think AI is definitely going to affect our business. Um, but I'm just not sure exactly. I mean, things like um, editing and post-production can get cheaper, I think, because you could have AI do it, and that could be a very big expense. Um, you could have AI, AI could start guiding photographers to take better pictures. They can learn better. Um, people talked about that. They can AI can do marketing insights for for companies, whereas they they used to do it through like uh, say you're doing a pharma job, they would there's three concepts and they would actually do test testing on it. Which one is the best AI might be able to figure that out right away. Now. Um, then you can have a big part of our business is copyright protection for images that are out there because of social media. We find all the time that, you know, this company didn't pay for that usage in India or London and this, and then there's a way to track all that stuff now. Um, yeah, it's just, I'm hoping that photography is going to be around for a long time. And, you know, the, the AI thing is the million dollar question for all so many businesses. Right. Um, but uh, I do, I do think it's going to affect us, but I'm not sure it's going to put photographers out of business. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So knowing that this is happening and, you know, now I'm feeling like someone's going to call you in about six months and say, Ray, why don't you try this? And you right. will, I know you, yeah. but, but if there, if you were to start a completely different business, re, semi-related in what you do, what would it be and why? Hmm. I don't know if, if I'm doing another business and be really honest with you, I would want okay. to do something different just because I've okay. been doing this a long time. And I like, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, like yourself, you get them involved in some 
private equity stuff and different companies that I'm interested in. But if I'm going to do something, I would want to do something, you know, my, my own company, but probably just probably very different because I've been doing this for so long. I mean, I thought about when, when all these NLI deals are starting to come out, I always wanted to be like represent athletes. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's the same type of thing. I'm managing photographers manage athletes and I have all these connections to uh, clients and retails that I could manage and be like, do, do no, all it's perfect. Cause you have the yeah. brands, I have the brands and I, and the brands are going to be what matters. So that that's actually an interesting, uh, I'm a little late concept. to jump on that, but I think there's still the NLI stuff is just at the, at the beginning stage. And there's, it's insane how much money is out there. And I could be really good at that. I, I knew that. And that would be something more fun, different. And at the same time, it could be very lucrative, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's too late. So don't think that. Uh, okay. We just need someone to ask you to do it and then you'll yep. do it. That seems to be the, uh, <laughs> there we the, go. the, the, the thing. Wait for my so, Ray, right, this was amazing. Uh, you're such a good guy. You know, you, you, you've gone through so much in your life and so much change. What's refreshing about you is just your your chill ability to just take what comes and and like you said, figure it out. That should be like a bumper sticker mm-hmm. by you. Uh, I think that's an important lesson. You know, everyone, especially the younger generation and the way we just have grown up through the generations after us, everything's planned, perfect, needs to be on a, on a like a, a roadmap and like, with this podcast and with talking to you today, most of the things that have happened to anyone that I know were through just, I, I, some people don't like the word happenstance, but through just like proceeding forward and, and, and being open to doing new things. So, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I mean, that's been my path since I've been very young. Well, you've done well. You have a great family. You're great in the, for the community. And, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. It was a lot of fun. Hi, John Schultz here. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Would really appreciate it if you would like, comment, subscribe, and share with your friends. Looking forward to being with you soon.